following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10.30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. There's a lot of quotes and a lot of writing on the idea of planning on the skill and the discipline of planning ahead, being prepared. So, for example, there's a famous quote. I bet you've heard this quote before. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And the idea, I mean, this is a really, it's a good quote. There's a lot of truth in this. If you don't do any preparation or any planning ahead of time, you really are planning to not do well. And it kind of draws out the importance of having a plan. Now, there's another quote. You may have heard this, and this comes in a bunch of different forms. And uh, I'm not so sure about the truth of this one. It says, having a bad plan is better than having no plan. Have you ever heard that one before? It's another quote. It comes in a couple different forms. It says, look, it's better to have some kind of plan, even if it's a bad plan. It's better to have some kind of plan than no plan at all. And that one, I'm not so sure about the truth of that. For example, I heard a couple news stories recently that I think may disprove that plan. It's of a couple um, various stories of different criminals that had really bad plans, so, for example, in uh, Miami Beach, right here in, in, in our home, uh, Miami Beach, there was a, a guy who saw cars, he was out, was out in front of a restaurant, and he sees this car, and his plan is to, to break into this car and obviously steal the whatever he can find, a wallet, whatever. So he breaks into this car, and he steals this wallet. He gets a credit card, and he decides, you know what, I'm here at Miami Beach, I'm going to live it up, I'm going to go buy myself a drink. So he walks into a restaurant, sits down at the bar, slides this stolen credit card over to the bartender and orders himself a drink. And the bartender, this is, you can read this in the news, I think it was in the Miami Herald a couple weeks ago, he takes the credit card and looks at it and realizes the man just handed him his credit card. Okay, if you're going to break into a car and your plan is to go into a restaurant, maybe don't go into the restaurant right there where the car is, okay? Just walk a couple blocks down. Okay, that's a bad plan. In Tampa, there was a a guy that um, was calling uh, a friend of his. He dialed the number, and um, the, the other person on the other end of the line answers, and he realizes he has dialed the wrong number. So he's talking to a complete stranger, and so he thinks... What most of us would think, well, if I'm talking to a complete stranger, might as well try and make a drug deal over the phone. Tries to sell this stranger drugs over the phone and turns out he was talking to a police officer, gets himself arrested. Okay, that's a bad plan. Okay, my favorite story I read recently happened in Chicago. And uh, two men, again, true story, two men walk into a restaurant, they find the owner and they say, all right, you know, we've got a gun. They produce this gun. They've got a gun, and, and if you don't give us money, we're going to kill you. And it was just in the middle of the, like, the rush of the restaurant, and the owner has the audacity. He says to them, look, could, are you serious? 
Like, look around. I mean, this place is slammed. We are, I don't have time to deal with this. Okay, come back in an hour. These two rocket surgeons leave the restaurant and come back in an hour. Okay. Another detail is actually the gun they had was a water pistol, but that's a whole other part of the plan. Okay, I'm not so sure having a bad plan is better than having no plan at all, okay? But I do think that first uh, quote about planning is true. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. There's something true about the need for being prepared and for having a plan. And we're going to be looking at this story in Nehemiah, and it's a great text. This whole story is on leadership, and it it teaches us about the importance of preparing and having a plan. But here's the thing. It takes it to another level. You can find thousands of bestsellers on Amazon of great books on how to plan and how to have a strategic plan and how to be prepared. And Nehemiah also will give some great tips on that. But he talks about something that it's so hard, you rarely find someone talking about this. See, what he talks about is how our planning, our hard work, our excellence, our preparation collides with the fact that there's a sovereign God that's in control of everything. How do those two things work together? And in fact, there's times where we really kind of wrestle with those two things and and maybe you don't actually consciously think about it, but I bet if you're in any way trying to have some kind of relationship with God or you maybe just at very least you say, well, I dabble in spirituality or maybe you say, no, I'm trying to follow Jesus. Maybe you've come in this collision of at what point is it just my efforts and what point is it me relying on God? Like how do those things collide? Like at what point is it, it's up to my hard work. It's because I worked hard and I planned and I prepared. And at what point is it really up to God? And so we respond to that in a couple different areas. Like one, one of the ways that we respond is we really just separate these two things completely. And so what we do is we start with this. Some of us say, okay, this is the area of my life where I just really work hard and I get results. And then I have the spiritual side of my life. And that's what I really pray. But this, but I don't really, God doesn't get in and, and enter into this part. I just really work hard. And we just separate God out of it. And then some of us say, okay, I really, really work hard and I bring God in when I'm desperate. I work really hard and, and my success is because of my planning, my preparation, my execution, my discipline. But when it gets to this point where I can't take it any further, then I bring God in. But then there's a third way that sometimes some of us interact is some of us, we say, I want to lean on God so much that I'm going to remove the planning and preparation. And there's actually some that would, that would say it's actually more godly to prepare less and just lean on God. Maybe you've interacted with this before. You say, well, I've got this, this important meeting. I'm going to be pitching something to my boss or I have this important conversation. And I could just sit down and outline and think it through and just write out a couple times and maybe bounce it off some advisors. But I really want to lean in on God. So what I'm going to do is not do any of that. I'm just going to pray really hard and trust that God gives me those words right there in the moment. But see, that's the other extreme, isn't it? It's doing no planning and all leaning on God. And that's what makes this text on Nehemiah, what people say historically, one of the greatest leadership texts in history is because he's not just going to tell you how to plan. You can find thousands of books on that. He's going to say this is how planning and God's sovereignty, God's control, this is how those two things collide together. 
and work together. So let's look at this in Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. It's going to be up here on the screens. It's in your bulletin as well. Nehemiah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says this. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad? Seeing you are not sick, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. All right, let's break this apart. We have the the month of Nisan when chapter 1 opened. It was the month of Kislev. So we've already had four months into this story. It's the month of Nisan, and he's standing before King Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes is the Persian king. You can read about him historically. This is not a fictional story. This is a historical story. Artaxerxes, you could see his tomb. They actually know where his tomb is. He's a historical guy. He's the ruler over all of Persia. This is the most powerful man in the world at the time because Persia rules over the known world. This is about 450 years before Christ. And you've got Nehemiah standing before this man. He serves him. It says that wine was before him. We learned in the last chapter that Nehemiah is a servant of the king. He works in his palace. He's the cupbearer. He's probably in in Artaxerxes' presence every day serving him wine. It's a very important uh, servant role before the king. And he's sad. He says, I was not sad before the king at all, but he has been, we know from going through the story, he's been weeping and mourning and praying before God. And the reason is because he learned that Jerusalem is still completely in rubble. It's in shambles. And the people, God's people living there in Jerusalem are, are very vulnerable. It's very dangerous. At any moment, they could be taken over and maybe even killed. So he's knowing that God's plan, he knows that God has a plan from the beginning of history to work through these people to bring about the salvation of the world, that a Messiah will come through these people and will save the world. And right now it looks like God's plan is hanging by a thread. So he's been praying for four months, God, use me. Would you use me before this king? I don't know what I could do, but use me. You know, he doesn't have this relationship with King Artaxerxes where he can say, hey, we got this banquet this weekend. Could I just pull you aside for two minutes and just run something by you? He doesn't have that relationship. He's got to wait for the king to initiate something. And he's been praying and waiting for four months. And the day comes. He says, I was not sad before the king. We talked about last week, that could cost him his life. He's not sad before the king. And the king says, what, there's something going on with you, Nehemiah. What's going on? I can sense you're sad and there's sadness of the heart. What's going on? And, and Nehemiah says this incredible opening line. He says, O king, live forever. Why shouldn't my face be sad? When the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins. Now next week we're going to come back and go back to this phrase and we're going to pick it apart because this is an unbelievably insightful, it's an unbelievably wise way to begin this conversation. I mean, every single word has been planned in this opening phrase. 
so strategic, you've got to believe that for four months, he's been refining this opening. Over and over, oh, king, live forever. You know, I, why should my face be sad? It's a place in my father's graves. He's been replaying this over, unbelievably strategic. We're going to come back to that a little bit next week and talk about how strategic this is. He's been replaying that over and over, and he's waiting for the king's response. And the king is saying, okay, what do you want? What do you want? Are, are you, you have a, is there like a request coming here? What is it that you want? And Nehemiah, you see, he kind of takes a deep breath, right? Okay. And you can see he's facing the king, he's talking to the king, but he has this prayer going on. I mean, this is the moment. You've got to know, he has one shot at this. One shot. It's not going to come back around. He's not going to be like, hey, king, okay, I, 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 I'm ready now. Okay, you remember what you were talking about a, a couple months ago? No, he's been waiting for four months for the king to initiate, for God to open the door. One shot. This guy is ruling the known world. He's not going to have another moment to talk to this guy. One chance. And he's praying, God, help this to work. Let's see, does he fumble it? Let's look at what happens. Verse 5. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Now here's how I imagine this going. He says this, the king's quiet, looks over at the queen, looks past Nehemiah, he's thinking, and Nehemiah's like, what have I done? Why did I say, I shouldn't have said this, I shouldn't have said anything. God, I was praying, and I said, look at him, he's mad, he's going to kill me, I should not have said anything. And he's just about to say, I, you know what, never mind, I, I give, never mind, I don't think. And then verse 6, and the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. So here's what happens. The king's sitting there. It's this long, tense moment. He basically says, well, what I'm asking is, can you send me to Judah? I'm going to rebuild that city. You know, that, there's a lot. There's like a huge gap. First of all, the king's got to be thinking to himself, you're a cupbearer. You, and, and you serve me, and I'm just going to let you go. And the king says, how long are you going to be gone? Okay, think of the dynamics here. They're in Susa. We know that he's going to, back to Judah, to Jerusalem in particular. This is like seven, eight, nine hundred miles. It's going to take months for him to just get there. Okay, this isn't like, well, king, 18 months tops. I'm going to fly in. I'll be back on the weekends. I'm going to just fly in, fly out. I'm going to you know, talk to some contractors there, get the ball rolling. I'll be back in here most of the time, just kind of leading it from afar, do some Skype conversations over the time. Okay, this is not that situation. He's going to, I mean, this is months to get there. I mean, he can't send, you know, very limited information he can send in front of him. So he's got to get there, he's got to organize, he's got to build, then he's got to make sure it's stable, then he's got to, because he can't keep leading from a distance, so he's got to make sure it's stable, then travel all the way back home. We're talking years, many years. And so the king asks, it's so interesting, the first thing the king really wants to know is how much is this going to cost me with you being gone? 
So how long are you going to be gone? When are you going to be, when are you going to come back? He's like, okay, this is what I want to know. When, okay, what is this going to cost me? When are you going to be back? And it says, I love the way this particular version puts it because you notice it says, and when I had given him a time. It says, it pleased the king when I had given it a time. And you kind of get the sense from this version, the way they're interpreting the ancient Hebrew here, is it's like the king was like saying, okay, when are you going to be gone? And the moment he answered that question well, then he let him go. Okay, it's not like, you get this, this feeling, the king, it's one of two things. The king is either saying, awesome, just tell me when you're going to get back. Or the king is saying, okay, um, well, how long are you going to be gone? When are you going to be back? And you almost get the sense that it's that second one. Because it says, he was pleased to let me go when I told him how long I would be gone. Now, what's Nehemiah's? He, he gives him this response. What's, how, there's also, what's the dynamic of Nehemiah? How is he talking back to the king? Was he like, oh, when am I going to be back? Oh, I mean, at least three to five, seven years. I mean, just trying to think here. I think it's probably, was it that kind of response? Or was it this kind of response? Well, King, here's what I'm thinking. It's going to take me this number of months to get ready. Uh, I've mapped out the travel. It's going to be this number of months to travel there. Then I'm going to have to get ready. And which idea is it? Is it Nehemiah thinking quickly on his feet? Or is it Nehemiah very planned and prepared and having the logistics worked out? Which Nehemiah is it? And the next couple verses tell us pretty much. Look at verse 7. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the, of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. You see all the logistics he's already thought through? It's very obvious the Nehemiah standing before this king is it's not just he's thinking quickly on his feet. You don't have a, a Nehemiah who's praying because he's like, wow, I didn't think this conversation would actually happen. God, you've got to give me answers. That's not what he's praying. It's like, okay, God, help this to work. We've, I've prayed and I've, I've planned as best I can. And you see, he's thought through all of these logistics. He's thought through the diplomacy uh, um, consequences of this. He's thought, through, I'm going to need letters to get all the way to Judah. I mean, what if he just gets into the next kingdom and the king's like, whoa, what's this Persian caravan coming through here? Oh, well, I mean, the king sent me to rebuild this city in Judah, Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden you got this king saying, whoa, whoa, time out. Do you have any papers to prove that? Because I've already got Susa on one side. I've got Persians on one side. I certainly don't want another kingdom on the other side. I'm, I'm sorry, you're going to have to go back and show me that before I let you pass through. He's already thought through the, the, the diplomatic angle of this. He's already thought through the supplies he's going to need. You notice he asks for timber? I mean, think this through. He, you don't build walls strictly out of timber. He's already thought through what he needs. He knows they already have the stone because there's rubble there. But what does he need? He needs timber. And you're like, okay, think about this. Is he just going to, okay, let me run around the kingdom in Persia and get tons and tons of timber and drag it via camel all the way to Jerusalem? 
They don't have those, you know when you're on the highway and you see those gigantic semis that are carrying like seven logs like back and forth? You've seen that before? They don't have those. They're going to have to drag it all the way there. So what does he need? He needs a letter to the king's forest, probably in that region. And what's interesting is the name Asaph, the king of the, uh, the um, person who's in control of that forest, Asaph is a Jewish name. And so what you have is he has researched what forests are in the region and who's in control of the forest and how he needs to get the timber and the lumber from that forest. See the logistical details he's planned out here. He is prepared. And I love the way this verse says it. It says, Nehemiah reports, the king gave me what I asked for. Didn't give him more. Didn't give him less. You have, it's not this dynamic where the king's like, okay, Nehemiah, I love you, man, but you're just a cupbearer, so here's what I think we should do. I need to send some treasure chests of gold there because you need to hire some wall builders and let's bring in the, the Persian engineers and wall builders together and we'll get a game plan and so you can get all the supplies. The king didn't offer to do any of that. The king gave him just what he had planned. Just what he asked for, that's what the king gave. No more, no less. So here's what this, this text is saying when, you're, when we're reading it with this level of detail. It's saying, to the degree that Nehemiah was prepared. That's to the degree that he was successful. Do you see that? To the degree that he had prepared logistically ahead of time and asked the king, to that degree and no more, to the degree that he, in that one moment, that one chance he got, to the very degree that he had planned ahead and knew what to ask for, that's all he got for his mission and no more. So it seems like when you're reading this text, his success was dependent on his planning. His success is, I mean, if he hadn't done all that planning and he's just shooting from the hip, then there would have been a lot of things that he would have forgotten and it would have been over before it had begun. But it seems from this text, to the degree that he had planned, that's the amount of success that he had. Until Nehemiah says that last phrase in verse 8. Did you catch it? And the king granted me all that I asked for because I had planned so well. Because I, I'm just a good leader. I don't know what else to say. I'm just, I'm good. I'm just really thoughtful. I, my, logistics are my thing, Nehemiah says. You know, I, I got everything I needed because I worked the king. Man, I know that angle. I had thought about it. I, I had done a lot of run-throughs beforehand, and that's why I was so successful. No, no, what does he say? He says, the king gave me everything that I had asked because the good hand of the Lord was upon me. Here's what's so powerful about this, this scripture. You've got two things colliding, both there so presently. Nehemiah is preparing like it's up to him, but he's praying knowing it's up to God. He's preparing like it's up to him, but he's praying knowing that it is up to God. This is the dynamic that you see here. You see that he has been waiting for four months we learn it. He's been sitting there praying, God, today, let today be the day I get an opportunity with the king. For four months, week after week, month after month, he's been waiting, waiting, waiting. And now we learn what he's been doing while he's been waiting. Has he been doing this? 
Has he been just sitting there twiddling his thumbs like, God, I thought today was the day. Well, I'll keep praying and go about my business. No, he's been preparing and planning while he's been waiting. He's been actively waiting. He's been digging in and he's been saying, God, okay, I think that you're going to do this, so let me be prepared when you open the door. If it's today, I'm going to be prepared. He has been actively praying and planning, waiting for this moment. I want you to think about what are you waiting for in your life right now? What are you waiting in your life for? In your life, what are you waiting for? What is it, man, the season to end? Or, man, I'm waiting to be out of school. Or I'm waiting to get into the job that I want or the position that I want. Or I'm waiting for retirement. Or I'm waiting to get married. Or I'm waiting to have kids. Or I'm waiting for this next season of life or that promotion or that job opportunity. I'm waiting for that next job, that opening, that account. What are you waiting for? And how are you bringing these two ideas in together that God wants you to prepare as if it's up to you, but pray knowing it's up to God. Say, how do those things, okay, help me bring those together. How do those work out? I want to just take a second and let's dig into this. Let's develop our thinking biblically about preparing and planning, a theology of planning, for lack of a better term. I want you to hear this phrase. It's, it's this verse. It's so good. It's Proverbs 21, 5. Look at this Look at this verse. It says, the plans, this is from the Bible, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. See what the Bible's saying? The Bible's telling you to plan and be prepared. You say, well, isn't that obvious? Well, just time out because this is not always so obvious. There are some who operate under the assumption that the most godly thing for me to do is just purely lean on God and do less planning. I'm going to do all praying and just kind of hope that God works in the moment. All right, let's bring this into into real life. Let me just start with the way it operates in a a church world, okay? Then we'll, we'll work out from there. In a church world, there are some who uh, would actually advocate that because what we do in church, when we meet together, you know, those who are the volunteers and the staff and the leaders who are, who are responsible to plan this time together, what we know that happens when we come together is a God thing, right? We know that what we want is God to impact our lives, so we want God to work. And there's some that would advocate Let's just come here, let's gather together, let's do no planning, no preparation, let's come here and just let God do his thing. That's how we're going to lean on God. But here's what we believe as a church and here's how we operate. We, we'll actually plan a Sunday morning, plan a weekend, weeks, months, and sometimes even longer ahead of time. We want to be as prepared out down to the detail. We know, like, in fact, Sarah and her team, they know to the second how long the songs are going to operate. We know down to, and then we, afterwards we review all of it and we prepare and we plan in as much detail as we possibly can. Why? Is that just taking it in our own strength? No, because we believe the Holy Spirit, yes, works in the moment, but he's been working for all the months leading ahead of that moment too. And in that moment, if we're sensing he's taking us into a different direction, at any moment we respond to that. But we want to give the Holy Spirit as much time to work as possible. So we start planning ahead of time. God, what are you doing? And we're working for weeks and weeks, and the Holy Spirit's been working the entire time and working afterwards when we're reviewing and saying, how can we do this better? How can we, how can we do this with more excellence before you, God? We're wanting to plan because we see the Holy Spirit working through that plan. So let me ask you, so you've got something big that you're waiting for. Man, dig in and plan with all you've got. Let the Holy Spirit work through your plan. You've got a big interview coming up. 
It takes hard work to say, hey, let me call a friend and sit in front of him. Can we do a mock interview? I mean, that takes a lot of exhaustion and work. But I want to do that because I want the Holy Spirit to work through that moment. You got a presentation. You could say, well, I just, you know, I'll just let God work in the moment. I'm going to pray really hard. You know, sometimes praying is easier than planning. And sometimes we use, I'm leaving it up to God as an excuse for laziness. And so what we've got to do is say, okay, I've got a presentation, and so I'm going to work hard. I'm going to have the best possible presentation I possibly can have. I'm going to rehearse it out loud. I'm going to rehearse it in front of people. I'm going to get feedback. I'm going to plan and be as prepared as possible because the Holy Spirit's going to work through all of that planning and then also work in the moment. And then at the end of all of it, I'm going to say, God, you did all of it. You worked through all the planning. You worked through all the preparation. You worked in the moment. You're the one that worked. The Bible's telling us to plan. In fact, I love the way this verse, later in that same chapter, look at Proverbs 21, 31 up here. I love this metaphor. Look at this metaphor because this is your life. It says, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. You're going to, ba- you go into battles all the time. All the time you go into battles, you go into important conversations. Maybe you've got a a conversation coming up with a a, a friend or a relative and there's been some tension in that relationship and you're trying to bring some reconciliation. Prepare. Be ready. Think through that discussion. Don't just say, God, help me when I get there. Dig in, prepare, plan, be ready for that day. Be, have your armor on, have your training, have your, have your weaponry sharpened. Be ready for that moment. And then in the end, you'll know that God worked all the way through all of that planning and all of that preparation. And the battle's in the hands of the Lord. Okay, but if it's in the hands of the Lord, why does God want me to do all of this planning and preparation? Why does he want me to do all that hard work if he knows what's going to happen and he's just going to do what he's going to do anyway? Why would I do all that hard work? One last verse I want to share with you. It's in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Listen to this verse. It's beautiful. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Do you know who your boss is? Do you know who you answer to ultimately? It's the Lord. When you ask yourself, did I put in a good day of work? You put your head down on the pillow and say, did I, did I give it everything I had this week? Do you know who ultimately we answer to? It's Jesus. So work, prepare, be ready, give excellence because who's your boss? Ultimately, it's God. Christian, do you realize Christians in your workplace, wherever you're working, do you realize we should be bringing the most excellence? We should be working the hardest. We should be the one excelling. We should be the ones digging in, being the most planned and prepared. Why? Because we do it for the Lord. When you look around you and all the other people that are working hard, digging in, being as excellent as they can, why are they doing that? Probably the rest of the world is doing it for their own glory. And so here's what happens. When they want glory more than the pain of, when they're willing to do the pain of hard work for their glory and they want glory and they're willing to do that pain, then they'll work hard. But when all of a sudden it gets too painful, they don't care about their glory anymore, then they'll slack off. But that's not the paradigm for us Christians, is it? For the followers of of Christ. We're doing it for God's glory 
no matter the cost. And that scale never tips. And so Christian, you should be at the top of your game. You should be giving it the most excellence in every sphere of your life because you're doing it for the Lord. You should be the most planned and the most prepared because the Holy Spirit is working through you for that moment. So let's bring it into our lives. Let me ask this question. What are you waiting for right now? What's next? What are the the prayers that you're saying, God, when will this happen? What's that prayer? I want you to bring that situation into your mind. What is that prayer that you're saying, when? Because I think from this text, we've got to shift our prayer from when, God, are you going to do something to what, God, do you want me to do while I'm waiting? What are you waiting for? Is it that next job up Climbing up the ladder, what are you waiting for? Is it, man, when are you going to bring us kids into our life? When are you going to bring me a spouse? God, I've been waiting. God, when am I going to be done with school? I've been doing this for so long. Or God, when am I finally going to get in that career that I want or get to that level that I want? Or God, when are you going to get me out of this job or finally get me a job? Or God, when, when is it that, I, that I'm going to be able to retire? Or when is it that I'm going to be able to do this or do that? What are you saying when? And shift your prayer from when to what? God, what do you want me to do to be preparing in the meantime? Because I'm going to wake up every day and do it for your glory, not for mine. I'm going to give it everything I've got. I, my expectation is I'm going to bring the most excellence of anyone around me because I'm not doing this for my glory. I'm doing it for your glory. Let me ask this another way. Maybe you say, well, I'm not really in a waiting place right now, so let me just ask another question. Let's shift it around. What are you asking God for? What are you asking God to do that you don't have a plan for? You know, maybe you think about the, uh, the student who's sitting there, they've got a big exam, it's a midterm coming up, and they've got this big exam, and they're saying, God, you know that I did no studying for this exam. <sighs> you know, and I feel bad. I really do feel bad, God. But please help me get an A. Amen. <laughs> That's silly, right? What about this prayer? God, fix my marriage. Bring healing to my marriage, God. Bring healing in this relationship in my life. And God's saying, have you done any studying? God, please heal this relationship with my kids. Or God, help me to raise godly kids. God, we want to have a godly family that's standing on you. God, help me to to use my time in a way that glorifies you. Help me to use my money in a way that glorifies you. Lord, help me to use my job. Lord, I want to build something for you. And, And do we toss out prayers? I mean, what am I praying for that I don't have a plan for? Because maybe the best thing that God's like, great that you're praying. And now while you're praying for that, also know that I'm wanting to develop a plan. So you're saying, God, heal my marriage. He says, okay, are you reading Christian books about marriage? Are you studying the scripture for marriage? Are you taking some time and you're saying, you know, we need to develop. It is a godly, holy thing to pray and to plan. And so how am I going to obey the scripture and get counsel? Do we need to sit down and go to counseling? What do we need to do? I've got, I've got a prayer, but I need a plan. That's godly. God, help me to raise my kids in a godly way. Do I? Okay, that's an incredibly great prayer. Do I have a plan? 
Or is it just a prayer that I toss up there? Am I just praying it and then twiddling my thumbs waiting? Or do I pray it and then while I'm waiting, I go to work and I have a plan. Okay, here, they've got to be, they're going to need to be active in their church and I'm going to need to get in a, a community group and discuss how do you lead your kids? And what do I do in this situation? I need to be around, see, seek out a couple that's farther down the road and get counsel from them or read some books together as, as a couple. I mean, what's my game plan? I say, God, I want to know you better. I want to understand who you are better. Okay, am I saying, okay, here's my plan. I'm going to carve out time every day, first thing in the morning before anything else, and I'm sitting down and I'm seeking you. I'm digging into your scripture, and it's going to be morning after morning. And a lot of mornings, I have no idea what I just read, but I'm trying, I'm digging, and I've got a plan. Do you know that it is godly to pray, and it is godly to plan? Do both those things. Make the horses ready for battle. And then when you see the victory, know that it was up to God. Do you know why it's so godly to plan? Because God had a plan and has a plan. He's a planner. If there's any being that's sharp enough to come up with the answers in the moment, it would be God. But he planned ahead of time. And you realize your planning, when you plan and prepare, when you think through logistics and you strategize and you get that together, you realize you are living out how you are in the image of God by planning and preparing. And you know what's so powerful about God's plan? Well, let me read to you about God's plan. It's in the book of Acts. It tells us what his plan is. Listen to this. It's going to be here on the screens as well. This was his plan. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Do you know what's incredible about God's plan? It was a plan for him to come down in the person of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to be killed and to be crucified, to pay for your sins and my sins. That is his plan. His glorious, self-sacrificing, loving plan was to come to this planet to die as the Messiah, to die to save this planet from our sins. That's his plan. So his plan was to fail? Well, this is the next verse in Acts chapter 2. Look at what he says next. Because this is the rest of his plan. And God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Christian, that's God's plan. Why do you give him everything you've got every day and not just spiritually punt in spiritual laziness and say, well, he'll help me in the moment. No, I dig in and I plan. Why? Because I'm following after Jesus who gave everything he got. He died on a cross to save me from his sins. But you know, it ends happy. It ends happy. He was raised again from the dead. You know that verse is so powerful? The horses are made ready for battle, but the victory is in the hands of the Lord. Do you realize no matter what the outcome is, you make the horses ready for battle and you know whether it goes the way you want it or not. Do you know it's a victory? There's no worst case scenario with God. 
He knows the outcome and he's going to work it together for your good. Did you know that? So dig in and plan. And know that he has a plan that includes you and your salvation. Maybe this morning you didn't realize that God had a plan from the beginning of time that included you. Do you realize he thought of you and how to save you from the beginning of time? Did you know that? He had a plan to save your soul from the beginning of time. He knew that you were separated far from him and maybe you feel that this morning. You feel like, I, I feel like God's mad at me. He knows what I've done. I feel so far from God. Do you realize his plan is to cut that distance down? Remove it altogether. He died on the cross to pay for your sins. And maybe this morning you want to accept that truth and realize, yes, I am part of God's plan. And maybe you want to put your faith in Jesus and find your salvation today. Be forgiven once and for all for your sin. If that's you, I want to lead you in this simple prayer. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you want to put your faith in Jesus, then pray this simple, simple prayer right there in your seats between you and God. Just say this. Say, God, thank you for having a plan to save me. Thank you, God, that that plan included your incredible sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for saving my soul for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.